Hey everybody, this is Evan here from the Arcuspeak Podcast, and before we get into this episode, something has come up here that we thought all of our listeners would be interested in hearing about, and it's from our friend Enoch Sears over at Business of Architecture. And he sent along a little note for this year's Business of Architecture Summit, which is going to be happening at the end of the month, and we wanted to make sure that you guys heard about it here on Arcuspeak. So here's what Enoch has to say. Attention architecture firm owners, don't miss this year's Business of Architecture Summit. This is the event that Chicago architect Frank Heitzman called the most profitable two days he spent in a long time. During these two days, you'll rack up 12 AIA learning units and hear from the leading thinkers on how to run a sustainable competitive practice. It's being held on October 29th and 30th, 2015, online, not in a physical location, but because of the magic of technology, it's all going to be done online. Since the event is virtual, all sessions will be recorded and available for participants, but you must sign up before the deadline. Seminar topics include how to productize your services and boost your project profit by 12% or more, and think like a developer, how to win more projects, improve the built environment, and have more fun with every project. So what you need to do is go to businessofarchitecture.com slash Arcuspeak to reserve your spot. And that way they know you came from here. And that does give us a little bit of credit, which goes a long way here on this little podcast. So we would love it if you guys would at least visit that link and see if it's something you'd be interested in doing. If you're a small firm owner, if you're a medium-sized owner, or if you are on your own, this summit is for you. This is something that I'll be attending myself, so I definitely hope that you guys will check it out as well. So again, it is the Business of Architecture Summit, October 29th and 30th, online. And if you sign up and you can't make it online during the seminar itself, you'll be able to go back and watch all of the recorded sessions whenever you need to. So that's it for the Business of Architecture Summit that we wanted you to know about. Let's get into the show. <laughs> Sweet dreams, Cormac. <laughs> you know you'll be singing that all night long. Welcome to the Arcuspeak Podcast. I'm Evan Troxel. Each episode, Neil Pan, Cormac Phelan, and I have a casual conversation about all things architecture, and we invite you to listen in as we talk about everything in the profession, both the good and the bad. Maybe you're considering a career in architecture, you're still in school, or you've been around the blocks of Corbusier's City of Tomorrow more times than you'd like to admit. Join us in the studio as we stand around the water cooler and talk about why we love our chosen profession. It's time for some Arcuspeak. Welcome to episode 72 of the Arcuspeak podcast. I'm Neil Pan. I'm Evan Troxel. I'm Cormac Phelan. And this episode of Arcuspeak is sponsored again by Arcat. Visit them at arcat.com, and we'll be talking more about them a little later in the show. And first off, we actually, for this episode, we have a guest, and she's a returning guest. And this guest is Rosa Shang, who is uh, a senior associate architect at uh, BCJ, because I'm going to screw up the pronunciation of that firm's name, so I'll just say BCJ and let Rosa <laughs> pronounce it properly. So, Rosa, welcome back to the show. Thanks, guys. Glad to be back. And yes, I am Rosa Shang. I'm a senior associate at Bolin Sawinski Jackson in San Francisco. And I'm also the chair of Equity by Design, formerly known as the Missing 32% Project. And uh, I can kind of talk about the name change uh, if you'd like to know. We started off as a question, uh, an inquiry about why women were leaving uh, the field of architecture, but also why they weren't advancing in the profession as quickly as men. So there was a rough statistic, if you will, which is 50% uh, men and women graduate from college, but by the time uh, they get to be licensed architects, 
as AIA members were measured, there was only 15 to 18% of those women that were remaining in the field. So that was pretty shocking. And if you did the loose math, 50% minus 18, you get 32% missing. So that wasn't a true statistic by any means, but that started the questioning of how many people are really missing? Where did they go? Why are people leaving? So we formed a group um, under AIA San Francisco as a committee to uh, start a survey, in essence, to dig a little deeper and figure out not just why women are leaving, but also asking a larger question of why men might be leaving architecture as well. So that was in 2014. And uh, we launched the survey results a little less than a year ago today. Um, so um, since then, there's a lot of exciting things that have happened since we launched the survey report. And um, the Equity by Design Symposium Knowledge Discussion Action, which happened on October 18th, which Neil attended, right? Right. Um, was a very pivotal event. We had, uh, it was sold out. We had 250 people attending, uh, double of what it was the year before. And there were 50 people on the waiting list and they came from all over the country to hear our survey findings. And we were shocked. We didn't think one, that we would get as many people to respond. We had 2,300 respondents for the survey itself, about 60% uh, women, 40% men. Uh, but that was still enough to be uh, statistically um, you know, interesting in a way to understand what was going on in practice, You know, what was happening to talent retention uh, through the life of an architect. So w the way we framed the discussion was, um, from the time you graduate to the time that you retire, there are several pinch points, if you will, of why people may leave uh, architectural practice in firms, uh, whether it starts with the hiring process of just uh, graduating during the right economic you know, opportunity, um, or whether it's paying your dues, um, having to do you know, bathroom details or elevator details or whatever you don't find meaningful while you're waiting to get licensed, you know, that might be a point of drop off for a lot of people. And then there's licensure, the almighty, you know, 10 years or so it takes on average for a person to get licensed uh, while working those long hours and not making very much money, they might try to leave before they get to that point of licensure. And then the fourth and fifth ones kind of work hand in hand as stumbling blocks or pitch points. Uh, the fourth one being caregiving, where people, you know, life happens. Not only are you uh, caring for children, but you might be caring for your uh, parents, or you might be caring for your loved one who is ill, or you might be caring for yourself. But all these things require work-life flexibility, which kind of is non-existent in many firms that we see across the U.S. And then finally, the glass ceiling, which has to do with bias against people and preventing them from advancing to positions of leadership or power. It's a lot, uh, huh? <laughs> that's a lot. Yeah. So all of that came out and was discussed and uh, shared as, as uh, statistical information last year. That's correct. So what and, happened after all of that? I mean, that's a lot of work and, and yes. a lot of information that came out. Uh, what's been the effect of uh, since then? Well, um, where do I start? Basically, it was like an explosion. We thought, oh, we'll release the findings, we'll issue the report, and then we'll kind of be done, you know. But then we got the request to present the findings because it, because it is pretty uh, complex. It, there are a lot of nuances. Um, within the survey findings, the way you present it uh, may have a different parlance with, you know, how somebody understands it. So people didn't want to mess up the interpretation, and therefore they asked us to come to each of the different cities that we were asked to present the survey findings in. And I basically was joking around at the symposium that we would take the survey out on a roadshow and I have to be careful what I say yeah. because every time I say something, <laughs> they took you see. Oh, good! It happens. 
So Boston was the first one. Emily Grandstaff Rice, who was our keynote speaker, um, from, who was the former president of BSA AIA, asked me to come out to Boston and present in January. And uh, they hosted us to come out. So I presented then. And then the next one was New York. So we presented there. And then Lisbon, Portugal, which was crazy. Uh, our paper wow. got accepted into an international conference on gender and architecture. And there are at least 15 to 18 countries represented there. And I'll share with you in a little bit of all the kind of aha things that I learned along the way. But then it just steamrolled into, you know, then it was Atlanta and then it was Philadelphia with TEDx. And wow, I, I you know, and the list goes on and on, but I'm tired. Yeah. <laughs> Let's just say that. But I'm excited as well because the reception of the information has been mind blowing. Um, not only individuals and not only AIA components, but firms, large firms, small firms, medium firms have written us, have inquired about uh, getting the slides to present, you know, in, within their offices, people that have attended each of these presentations have asked for the slides and to share them with their firms because it is important. It's uh, awareness spreading, if you will. And even the AIA National has really embraced the survey findings and they have launched an equity, uh, sorry, a diversity survey, which expands uh, what we did into race. So they um, launched that in early uh, 2015 and they're starting their early findings. Um, they just did a little teaser at the um, AIA Women's Leadership Summit that I attended in Seattle last week. And then um, that finding was, you know, basically affirming what we had done. A lot of people had uh, at least tried to poke holes in it in the beginning, but seeing what the impact has been in the last year, now the doubting Thomases are coming around. And, you know, even with the diversity survey, a lot of the findings are affirming that people are looking for work-life flexibility. They're not in their jobs necessarily to make top dollar or, you know, advance to um, up the ladder, so to speak. They are looking for those things, but they want more. They want uh, work that's meaningful and has something to do with their, you know, life goals. They want work-life flexibility. They want to work with a group of people that have the same goals. And then they also want a transparency of how they can get to the top and they want to be mentored. So, um, those are the things that will keep people, you know, gainfully employed and loyal to a company over top salary or, you know, choice design projects, if you will, just, you know, for the sake of design in and of itself, um, beyond it. the meaning and impact. Yeah. Just went through a very similar transition, basically looking for everything that you just said. I think beyond architecture, there's been some articles uh, about meaning and influence and life legacy, et cetera, just in general uh, in the public. So the New York Times had an article, which I'll send to you. I can't recall the title right now. And Time Magazine also had one about um, ambition and how women and men view ambition differently. Mm. And I think more men are realizing what women have intuitively known about ambition, that ambition for ambition's sake is not something that's a definition of success for most women. It's more about the impact and the, the influence that you have and the, the kind of good that you do. I think of it as the super friends, uh, the hall of justice, <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. Wouldn't it be great if we all had our uh, secret superhero, you know, thing going on, on on the side? I like to think of it that way. Yeah, I think too, though, with that that idea is that that there's this. I mean, those are the people who are held up in, you know, whether it's our profession or in society in general as the successful, you know, the definition of success. And if you look at that in architecture, um, and I mean, if you watch any documentary on any one of these old famous architects who who were 
these architectural heroes. I mean, their their lives apart from architecture were were typically in shambles because of <laughs> because of that um, yeah. ambition. And I think you're right when you say ambition for ambition's sake. I mean that that is really the only redeeming factor out of it is is uh, those those stories because. I bet it's a very painful thing to go through. And I think that's what a lot of people have realized is the toll that it takes. And if you get a taste of that early on, then you realize pretty quickly how um, that's kind of a a fool's errand to take on that type of ambition and uh, basically sacrifice everything for it. Um, But there's a lot of firms that still operate with that as kind of an idealistic trait um, and an expectation of people who are come, uh, you know, the younger up and comers in their firm, um, they 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 just have this really high expectation of of what you will be willing to do to achieve the levels that that some people hold in very high regard. Yes, absolutely. Um, so tying that all back together, um, I think what I've framed as this presentation has been really interesting because it's also reflective of my own journey. Um, You know, I was at a point of struggle where I was in that mindset of the linear path, the race, you know, the, the competition, Mm -hmm. the, where I thought I needed to be at that point in my life. And I wasn't, that wasn't happening for me. And then I, therefore I felt like a failure and it's kind of indescribable because I'm sure on the surface, I still looked successful to everybody around me, but it was very internal and self-evaluating in a way. And right. that was the point of there has to be something more in life. What is that something, you know, is this it? <laughs> yeah. And it was kind of empty outside. The family was great. You know, everything in the family life was great, but that idea of what work should have been or could have been was not, uh, self, you know, uh, self-fulfilled prophecy, if you will, of my own uh, previous vision. And then it was a questioning. So it was a turning point. And then each place that I presented, I, I told that story. And uh, I think people saw in themselves, you know, the storytelling aspect that we have to tell in order to overcome this idea of one or, or society's expectation of what or media tells us that is successful. Mm -hmm. The more we tell our stories, the more we realize that we all share similar stories. Oh yeah. As humans, we're all after similar things, (laughs) but we don't feel like that. Right. I mean, everybody feels isolated. Yeah. Brainwashed. I'm the only one who is. Yeah. We're brainwashed by uh, societal structures, right. Of what people tell us, you know, the fancy car, the, Apple Watch, the whatever it is that we're supposed to be getting, <laughs> success you know, or Neil. acquiring. <laughs> <laughs> this is a family show, Formic. <laughs> Don't make Neil mad. <laughs> but whatever it is, you know, be, making principal before you're forty, you know, all those things, um, they're not quite there unless there's some greater meaning behind it. Yeah, this society does not preach contentment. Yeah, no. Um, so i think the momentum has also been our kind of three-prong approach which is knowledge discussion action and it's one thing to complain about things it's another thing to say okay we're going to get data to prove that we're right you know that more people think the way we think than ourselves individually do and then to talk about it and agree upon that we're all talking the same thing Mm mm-hmm but then to do something about it, the action part, that is the most difficult thing. But once you launch yourself into the action, it self-propels and it gains steam and it's like locomotion and it's the snowball effect of you know, people in aggregate spreading action. So that's our first and foremost goal beyond just the data and the talking about it is to get people, enable people to act, not just uh, collectively, but for themselves to say, are you living the life that you really want to live? And if you're not, what are you doing to change that? They're pretty deep thoughts, existential kind of stuff. <laughs> it's these questions lots of us uh, face, though. Uh, so it, it's very appropriate. So where do you see the equity by design 
um, it, where is it in this process? I mean, you've gathered information. We've you've you've taken it on the road. You've been discussing it. it we're are in you, action are you, land. Are you in the action action we're, phase? We're in action, Jackson, full phase, <laughs> full force. <laughs> um, so, a couple of things that we've done. Um, so earlier in the year, at the AIA convention, we we were audacious enough to submit. Um, a convention workshop, a pre-convention workshop, and it was accepted. And so that was a place where we thought, well, we'll make, we'll launch our workshop series where they did so well. People loved what we crafted as programs for the symposium. Let's, you know, make these resources for everybody. So we um, had a lot of people attend that and you guys came to the happy hour and it was a very customized experience that never happened at convention before. And we called it a hackathon, which is a Silicon Valley uh, phenomenon that a bunch of um, tech guys, coders, if you will, they get together and they pitch a problem and everybody has a weekend to solve that problem with technology, with an app or a software or whatever it is. They're solving, you know, they're dedicated and everybody's uh, doing an elevator pitch of their uh, creation. So our idea was to turn that into something about solving all these challenges with talent retention. Uh, we presented the survey findings and then we set people to task, you know, get into a group. It was kind of like Hollywood week at American Idol if you <laughs> 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 and meets Iron Chef. It was like, okay, secret ingredient, uh, work-life flexibility, <laughs> you know, or, or architecture and that's your secret ingredient. So then we put them to task. They're in this room locked together for two hours. And at the end, we had uh, three judges. They had to, you know, however they chose to present themselves, there was a rubric and they could perform, they could sing, they could dance, they could, you know, uh, do a regular elevator pitch. But the goal was to have them propose an action or a solution to any one of these challenges. And the winning team was called Build Your Tribe. And they're so hilarious because right after, they actually ended up winning, but they proposed to design an app that would help bring people together with the same, similar goals, you know, aligning yourself with people of similar values so that ultimately you could mentor each other and be each other's champions, um, you know, virtually, of course, but sometimes you would be able to meet these people in person. So they won for their idea. And right after that, within like an hour, they had a Twitter handle, build your tribe, and then they had a hashtag. So at by the time we got to the happy hour, they were launching this thing and it was like on Twitter and people were following them it was great yeah <laughs> and it was all women it was it was funny that way too because usually you know stereotypically like women don't engage in technology as much as men but they're on it they're yeah awesome. and i i have to check back in with them i don't know where they are with the development of their app but i think this is a good prod to see where they are and to me this was kind of it's something we've been talking about here on the podcast lately just as just the role of design in architecture and how a word that I keep seeing come up is intervention and how architecture is and can be an intervention in yes. the urban fabric around it. And, um, but, but it sounds like architecture itself needed an intervention, you know, and that's what, that's what you guys are doing. And, and it seems like in today's environment with social media, the yeah. internet in general, um, the ability to affect change is completely possible and you're showing it. Yeah, absolutely. And but that's not all. <laughs> I got that from Steve. Wait, folks, there's more. <laughs> yeah. Um at the same time uh, that weekend we basically launched the full survey report on our website. So we used we leveraged this um software called Issue or it's a website where you upload your document and it's a it's like a digital publication, right? So instead of spending mm -hmm lots of money on printing books, uh, so to speak, and then to figure out how to ship it all over the place. We basically have a website link and you go there and you can look at all the survey findings and read about all the good works that we did. 
And then that was tied into um, another action point, which was uh, equity, sorry, AIA resolution 15-1, equity and architecture, uh, which is something that I co-authored with uh, Frank Pitts, who is AIA vice president this year, and Julia Donahoe, who is a strategic, strategic council member on the AIA board. And I was um, pretty clueless because I had never written a resolution before, but under good advisement on how do I get a resolution approved you know, at the convention, uh, people pointed me in the right direction. And Frank and Julia, who had written resolutions before, took me under their wing, showed me how it was done. Um, I bounced, you know, my original draft off of them and they kind of helped, uh, really get it finessed in a way that they knew would, uh, pass, you know, so the rest was up to me as far as building consensus and, uh, the outreach part of it, which I use social media. We got all the people that were, you know, aligned with that goal in, um, AIA all over the place, but also just regular supporters who are members who didn't know, you know, much about equity and architecture as a resolution. And then we basically campaigned the entire time we were at convention. I almost lost my life. I don't know if you remember the story of me passing out pins, one rolls out into the street and stupid me, I go out and I chase the pin (laughs) (laughs) and I hear a screech of, something. And I knew enough to stop when I heard the screech. I turn around and there was one of those tour buses that was shuttling people back and forth from hotel to convention center. And literally I could reach out. If I had reached out with my hand, I could have touched the bus. So could you imagine the headlines? (laughs) Woman dies for equity. (laughs) Not equity, equity pin. Yeah. So needless to say, my efforts were rewarded that got um, 400, oh, sorry, 4,117 delegates, you know, representing the, the entire AIA membership body um, voted to pass this resolution. And it was uh, a pretty amazing moment to be in that room and not to have anybody vocally oppose it and then there are some people that voted no, you know, like less than 100, and then 50 people abstained, but it was a landslide. Wow. Yeah. And uh, that's starting up in the beginning of the year. So the president approved or the president appointed a commission. The board, I believe, approved it in the last couple of days. And then we're going to kick off um, official meetings next year with this commission uh, representing all the different ideas and the research that's out there, um, getting experts from not from architecture to come in and tell us kind of the best practices and the research that's outside of architecture. And then at the end of it, the goal is to make recommendations to have this be a regular thing of sorts, you know, whether it's, um, you know, surveys every, you know, two or three years, or it's, um, a knowledge community or continuing education or whatever it is as a resource that AIA can provide. It's meant to spearhead it as a permanent thing. That's not just, Oh, we haven't done this in five years here. Let's do something about it. And then it gets forgotten again, but to make it more of a permanent part of the infrastructure of services for membership. Yeah. I think that's key piece right there because there are so many things that this profession is guilty of thinking they've got figured out and then they just let it go and and things are moving at such a different pace nowadays i mean there are firms who are still struggling with uh technology and things like that and and what they don't realize is that it's only going to move faster and faster and faster and and things will never be like they used to be where we stuck with one thing for decades it's just it's not going to be like that now because we have global communication and we have all of these um, th- these ways for people to to communicate with each other and talk about best practices and talk about Share their experiences. Resources. Yeah, there's so many of these resources out there now that are available to everybody that 
uh, nobody wants to go back to the old way of, of doing things, right? Uh, it, it's kind of opened up this whole new uh, possibility for everybody. Absolutely. You know, you can learn pretty much anything on YouTube yeah, these days, totally. right? Tutorials for everything. You could learn to build a house. You mm-hmm. could learn to be an architect on yeah. YouTube. Um, <laughs> kind maybe, of kidding. It's insane. Maybe there's a business model there. Hey guys, let's take a quick break and talk about the sponsor for this episode. Uh, this episode is sponsored by RCAT. Would you like someone to draw CAD details for you? How about create BIM objects for you? Maybe even write specifications for you? Would you like this someone to do it all for free? RCAT has already done this for you. Search the RCAT libraries for these products and more, free of charge and no registration required to download content. RCAT has created a website devoted to you, the building professional, to find building product information fast and hassle-free. Check out RCAT today at arcat.com, and ArcaSpeak really appreciates RCAT's continued sponsorship of ArcaSpeak. I, I just wanted to touch briefly on, um, I mean, we've, we've talked a little bit about the effects that, that, um, that the, the whole equity movement has had, but, uh, uh, and you've mentioned you've traveled a lot and you're, you know, that, that sort of thing, but can you, can you explain to me or can, can you explain to us really kind of the effect that that's had, that it's had on you personally, um, and maybe even professionally? Yes. Um, I think, Personally, I feel fulfilled in a way that I had never felt before. Even though I still love architecture, I'm still practicing architecture. I still love being part of the building process um, from the time that we, you know, get the project, making the pitch, you know, all of that. I still love that. And it's funny because some people don't realize that I do all this and I'm still practicing architecture. (laughs) (laughs) um but i can't give that up you know people have asked me well what's next you know are you going to just do equity by design and i say no i can't because the whole premise is that it's about helping practice and talent retention and how could i possibly help that if i'm not in the thick of it learning you know it's like the living lab laboratory right where um the team that i'm working with now I'm kind of doing the things that I'm finding out in the research, you know, making sure that people feel engaged. Um, am I being a good mentor? Am I communicating? And am I teaching them the skills that they're going to need to thrive, to succeed? Right. So I, I feel like as important as it is to spread the good words of the survey and all that's out there and all these great initiatives that we do, it would all be for naught if I wasn't in the kind of in the in the weeds, if you will, um, really trying to see if it works at that level, you know, at that that personal level, that one-on-one, um, you know, individual. Am I affecting this person, you know, or this person's future? And it's kind of funny because I joke around with my team right now that we are the equity by design team. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because we have. Um, we're multicultural, so we have myself, the Asian woman. We have an African American uh, um, man. We have another uh, woman on the project, and who's just getting married. And then we have a father of uh, one child expecting the second child. So we've got the mixed bag of, you know, all the things that could possibly happen, you know, as pinch points. We're all in, you know various stages of pinch points. You guys are all accountability partners too. Yes. (laughs) But our project is going well. We're all learning. We're getting good design results. We love the client. They love us. Um, It's this weird kind of bubble, if you will, like all the things that could go wrong, you know, because of our, you know, tag as, oh, you're, you're that person or you're that person, you know, the odds are against you. Right. But we've kind of banded together and said, no, we're not going to let that happen. We're going <laughs> to. Well, that's a little mix of reality, though. Yes. Yes. You know, it's it's what the profession is. It's, you know, <laughs> your team is kind of displaying some of the the where you were going with the, um, you know, the, the life balance. Everybody has their own 
issues or things that they've got going on in their life. And each person is kind of building off of the experience or the knowledge base of the other person to kind of help them push beyond whatever it is and, and not only improve the project, but, you know, improve themselves. Absolutely. And I think I've also gained um, more confidence in skill sets that I've wanted to improve upon. So uh, public speaking, that's something that people, I think, because I speak so much, think, oh, yeah, you've been doing it for years. Oh, it's easy you know, it's for you. Yeah. It is very difficult. <laughs> and it takes a lot of practice. But literally two years ago, I think, when I spoke at the first conference and I, were, I was telling people in the office that I was going to do that, they looked at me as if I were crazy or, you know, just like, <laughs> really? Um, because before that, I think, you know, if I hit a stride and I knew what, what I was talking about, I could be okay presenting or pitching for a project. Yeah. But if I didn't feel comfortable, it showed, you know, it's that confidence thing. But it takes practice to gain confidence. It's kind of chicken and egg. Mm-hmm. So you can't get confident at public speaking unless you practice. And then there's the risk of, you know, messing up or whatever. Um, so practice in front of the mirror. <laughs> and then this other thing we learned at the Women's Leadership Summit, um, Courtney Martin, who is a speaker and she works with Ted and she's married to John Kerry, uh, who not the the movie star John Kerry, but the uh, auto desk uh, former architect John Kerry, who lives in the Bay Area. Anyway, long story short, I was on a tangent, but she basically cited a TED talk about uh, power pose. And it's like Wonder Woman, you know, with the, her fist on her hips and you're kind of, you know, you're feet are slightly apart, your shoulders are, you know, uh, pitch back, and you're basically standing as if you're a superhero. Right. And you're supposed to do that for five minutes or more, five to 10 minutes in front of a mirror and, you know, rehearse or do whatever you do, but you're supposed to keep that pose and that stance. And that's supposed to give you energy. So I dare you all to try that at home or before your next (laughs) speech or your business pitch or whatever it is because it works it totally does and i'm a secret closet power poser (laughs) apparently i (laughs) apparently i'm breaking one of the big rules of presenting and uh put my hands in my pockets oh yeah put put one hand in my pocket and use the other hand as kind of like the the point my my bigger problem is is that i talk with my hands so Uh, i always i always feel like you know if i'm moving my hands around which i'm doing right now um that you know it, it it could be distracting so i put a hand in my pocket just kind of you know because sure. then it throws me off balance and maybe i don't throw my hands around as much but um but yeah <laughs> I, I, I was i was listening to someone you know give a uh a, a little talk on you know the the proper ways of giving presentations and uh you know started listing some of the the no-nos and i'm like yep do that one yep do that one uh-huh do that no-no. one i do all the no-nos <laughs> exactly <laughs> I have learned for, you know, now this is, you know, the evolution of a an introvert to being an introvert that can at least be semi-social, that I, I've at least uh, got the whole eye contact and the kind of like, you know, moving through the crowd and, you know, picking. So I've I've been able to at least get over that big phobia. That's good. So, Rosa, um, I'm glad you brought it up. I think you're our first guest who's ever been a TED speaker. Oh, really? Absolutely. (laughs) That's an awesome, you know, uh, accomplishment. And I just wanted to ask you, what was that like? That was surreal and frightening and awesome all at the same time. But at the moment, I guess that from the time I committed to doing it, to the time I got on stage, I didn't believe that I was going to be <laughs> talking in front of 1,200 people. Um, it was a TEDx, so I could say play it down and say, oh, it wasn't really the TED, it was the TEDx. But Philadelphia has a strong following as one of the premier TED, you know, ex um, affiliates, I guess. And they've been doing it for about five years now. And like I said, there's 1,200 people in the room and it was sold out. So it was just like a TED. <laughs> yeah, and it has <laughs> it like the potential to to become, you know, there's some of the some of the TEDx talks have gone on to become yeah. the biggest 
like Brene Brown's talk on vulnerability. Yeah. And I mean, there are millions and millions of views from being a TEDx speaker. Yeah. That's and awesome. The theme was and justice for all, which was very fitting. And the way I got connected was actually through an AIA um, connection. Jeff Potsva, who is with the Young Architects Forum in Philadelphia, he was working with me on um, the his. They do a bi-monthly magazine called Connections, and he decided he was so excited about the survey that he wanted to feature the survey as one complete epi- episode or, or issue on equity by design. So I was pretty shocked and we were scrambling and I had asked a bunch of people to write articles and we worked so well together that when his friend, the TEDx person was asking, Oh, you know, we're doing this uh, theme. I don't know if you know anybody. He said, you have to talk to Rosa. And it was this amazing thing. I said, why did you recommend me? I (laughs) I don't know if I could talk in front of that many people, but he's like, no, you're perfect for it. So um, I had to mold my talk in a different way. I had my usual, you know, elevator pitch for architects, right? And I knew I was in my comfort zone. But then I made had to make this big leap forward of why is architecture important or why does architecture matter to the general public or the average person, right? And trying to craft that speech and also talk about equity by design in 18 minutes and they're pretty hard with the 18 minutes Yeah, was wow. That was the, the big challenge and doing it in two months. And, uh, I had, you know, written it, I think maybe 10 or 15 times and just rewriting it and rewriting it. And I finally got it like two days before, but that was the problem because I should have been, I should have stopped myself, you know, three weeks before and just practice. So, I was cramming. I was trying to memorize everything that I wrote and it wasn't all sticking. And then they, luckily they're very polished. They have a dry run the day before a dress rehearsal. And I completely messed up on the dress rehearsal because I was literally trying to cram in everything that I had written. It was like so eloquent. I was going to be a Ted talker, you know, and um, what somebody told me, which is really great was, you know, nobody's going to know if you forget what you wrote only you will know that you forgot something just speak from the heart and whatever you remember that sticks just say that you know you have a slideshow right to guide you you have images so i basically said a prayer and i winged it nice wow (laughs) and i looked back at the original speech and i forgot half of it but hey it sounded good and everybody you know applauded at the end so it's like all right good (laughs) And I gave myself (laughs) license to say, okay, you know what? If I forget what I said, it's okay, because I could blog about it later. Right. Nobody will know. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. It was a relief. And you did, actually. I did, because I felt like I owed it to myself to get some other important points across that I missed. I totally missed, uh, because they were flashing those cards, you know, five minutes, one minute. And (laughs) wow. At that point, no you just pressure. Change gears, like, yeah, eat the whale, yay! Uh. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I said at the end. <laughs> uh. That's great. It, it, just a reminder for everybody listening: um, a lot of these um, uh, things that we're talking about uh, or, or referencing different. Um, uh, the the TEDx talk and such. We'll have links to, in the show notes, uh, so make sure you subscribe to those or check the website uh, at arcaspeakpodcast.com because uh, we'll, Rose has been very uh, uh, generous to provide us links to all those stuff, so I'll make sure they're all in the show notes, so don't worry about uh, um, that you're going to miss something, so we'll have it all, all in there for you. And Rosa was on the podcast previously and she tells the eat the whale story so if you don't know what she's talking about when she said that go back and listen to that previous episode that's right episode 47 (laughs) by the way so there's two things i definitely want to talk about before we sign off um one is uh our blog series which was a spinoff from architects bob borson life of an architect oh we got this great idea from him to kind of do the all call, but for topics related to equity. And uh, they've been pretty successful in kind of 
getting different voices to the table that normally wouldn't even think about writing. I think um, Archimoms, did you guys read the Archimom series? Yeah. So yep. an Archimom is an architect who is also a mother. So we made this um, little splice of the name Archimom. And, you know, at first it was kind of a indignation of, well, you know, architects had this, uh, you know, theme of a day in the life of an architect and there's only three women, you know, on that um, call of, you know, posts, why weren't there more women? And it, and I said, well, in all, you know, in Bob's defense, it wasn't exclusive. It was just, there's not that many women volunteering. So why don't you write your experiences and we'll publish them on our website. So we had two people start the conversation and then it mushroomed into, I guess, 13 people at the end of it, including a dad who identifies as an Archimom because yeah. he's the primary caregiver. So it was really great to get all these different perspectives uh, from, you know, the principal who owns the firm to the person who's trying to get licensed. You know, they're all moms. It was, it was amazing to see the breadth of different stories and different backgrounds. And that kind of spun off into a couple of different series. Um, one called uh, Equity by Design, Get Real, EQXD, Get Real. And that came about from... Uh, so again, somebody on Twitter starts a conversation and I always am the instigator or the provocateur. Well, why don't you write about it? You know, if, if we're talking about something that we feel passionate about, and we don't think we've been done or, uh, you know, something's not been done right. Why don't you improve upon that? That's the action part too, right? I think that we were talking about before. It's not just other people acting, it's yourself. And um, I encourage these uh, women who have stories to share about being minorities to write about their experiences and their challenges, which was really difficult for them. I thought, I you know, in my ignorance and my privilege, I thought, oh yeah, anybody can write. Um, but it took a lot of coaching and, and mentoring to get them to be brave enough to submit their stories. And they were magnificent stories. They're um, really, I encourage you to read them, but one that sticks out in my head is Karen Williams. Um, I met her eventually at AIA convention, but uh, the kind of window into somebody's soul is what she gave us as this gift. And to be able to see her fear and all the challenges that she faces that are just unknown to us as separate individuals because of, again, um, where we are in life, you know, it's the birth lottery of where you are in life, but she chose to embrace that story and to share it with us. And that was something that was kind of an aha moment. Like, we, we need more of this. So there is another series called um, EQXD Bias and Privilege, Get Real, same um, theme, about daring people to tell their true stories. And it was a tough, very tough uh, topic. You know, people were scared. And I didn't even think anybody would volunteer. Um, but it's something that needs to be talked about, and it's talked about in society at large as uh, not just bias, but bias and privilege together, and not to point out at anybody else, but it's actually an internal self-reflection. We all have bias uh, against ourselves in whatever shape or form, and then, but we also have privilege. And people might say, well, no, I don't have any privilege. You know, I have been wronged. But to live in this country, the United States of America, and not to be worried about where, where the next meal is coming from or having to find that meal or your own protection or safety every day that you see you know, in the media about different third world countries that have to deal with that, we are privileged. You know, Even if we're not getting as far as we can forward, as fast as we can or where we think we should go, we have a lot of things to be thankful about. So what we did was we challenged people to identify the biases against them and also identify the privilege that they have as well. Mm. So it was a two-sided thing. And we had 10 people submit for that. And again, highly recommended if you go and read these stories, they're eye-opening into that kind of self-reflection, but also empathy and being able to know what another person's story and where they're coming from. 
Yeah, what a great turnout. That's awesome. Yeah. So what's next for Equity Ah, by Design? I'm glad you asked. There's more. (laughs) (laughs) But wait, there's more. So um, currently, there is a campaign by some of our counterparts that is kind of uh, a beta version of what we're concocting as the next thing, which is aligning all the different equity organizations, not just in the U.S., but around the world. And we're dubbing it the Equity Alliance for now until we think of a better name. Um, But there is a group called Parler in Australia, and there are organizations all over the world in the U.K., Germany, you know, Brazil, wherever it is, Saudi Arabia even, that represent um, either women in architecture or just people interested in equitable practice, which involves men as well. And, you know, fighting for the right things, uh, whether it's uh, pay equity or it's, um, you know, work-life policies that are friendly to not only families, but, you know, people that need care or time off, you know, for... um, sick leave, but all these good things, right? So uh, one of the um, kickoff things is an idea about Wikipedia. And I don't know if you've heard about this before. It's called Women in Wikipedia. So there's this phenomenon with Wikipedia um, where it was obviously started, you know, in tech. And of course, there's more men involved in as editors of Wikipedia. So there are certain protocols about writing in Wikipedia and how things are documented and accepted. And just out of whatever natural happenstance, there are very few women um, recognized, you know, in art, especially in architecture, but art as well. And, you know, where you would find a lot of notable um, whoever for whatever profession, you find less women. So to remedy that last year, there was a campaign that on International Women's Day, everybody was going to go on Wikipedia and we were going to write women into history because if technically if you're not on Wikipedia going forward, you don't exist. Mm. So it was kind of this like aha moment of, oh my gosh, you know, is that true? It was this existential question of if I'm not on Wikipedia or the internet, do I exist? And there was this great campaign, but at the end of it, um, half the submissions got deleted because they weren't. Uh, you know, following the rule books or the protocols of what was recognized as a Wikipedia entry. So shocking, right? How do you get into Wikipedia? And so they applied for a grant, uh, Parler and Architects and a group in Berlin, whose name I can't remember right now, but I'll send you the link. And they got the grant from Wikipedia to teach people how to write a proper entry so that you don't get erased from Wikipedia. So coming up, I guess, October 15th, there's going to be another one of these all-call, you know, all-day sessions of trying to write people in. But this time there's a guide, a step-by-step guide on the things you need to do or understand so that your entry doesn't get deleted. Isn't that amazing? Just like any (laughs) successful project, right? You have to know your constraints. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, you guys should also write yourselves into Wikipedia so, you know, or... Write each other in because you're technically not allowed to write yourself in. They will delete you. Yeah. <laughs> I just checked. I don't exist. So somebody <laughs> will have to do it for me. Arcaspeak doesn't. Arcaspeak doesn't exist either. So. Yeah. Oh, it doesn't. Not surprising. Well, somebody no, will have to write I'm you not in. Surprised at all. <laughs> <laughs> I'll write your Wikipedia page, Neil. Oh no, no, I don't think so. <laughs> Well, Rosa, thank you so much for your leadership. I think that one of, one thing that you've proven with Equity by Design is that you can lead from wherever you are and you don't have to wait to be asked exactly. to become a leader. And uh, I think that you're, the cause, the movement, it's, it just proves that, that if, if you can rally, uh, you can do anything. And the places that has led you, the opportunity and the outcomes that have come out of this have been... Uh, something you never thought of, but then also just these amazing things that are helping change so many people's lives. And and I think it's one of the biggest reasons we want to help spread the word on Arcaspeak is just because this is it's such a great thing, and and we can't help but but try to help any way that we can. And I and so hopefully uh, 
this will help a little bit. Yeah, we really appreciate um, your um, support and also getting the word out. And I'm going to leave you with five things that you can do to kickstart equity. All right. Lay it on us. Hear the list? Lay it on us. Yep. Okay. Number one, embrace technology. Um, leverage your internet, social media, whatever it is. Start a blog site. Start a Twitter account. Update your LinkedIn. And, you know, be present. Exist on the internet. <laughs> Get on Wikipedia. Yes. Number two, document, document, document. Whatever you're doing, take notes, take photos, um, you know, keep good records of your projects, uh, conferences that you've attended, you know, all of that, because you're going to need it eventually someday. You just don't know when. Also, I think that's a key thing just for sharing what's going on in the moment. I mean, that not that what Twitter's right. all about, right? It's, yes. it's sharing what's happening right now. And, and that has been a, probably a huge thing for equity. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. Whatever you're doing, if you have a meeting take a photo, share that it happened, right? And then three is recognize. Um, appreciate other people for what they've done. You know, call them out. If you, you know, be the champion of somebody else, help propel a future generation and help recognize people that are older that have done significant things that can't help themselves or, you know, aren't going to be able to learn technology in a timely way. You know, help propel other people nominate them for awards. And then four is participate. Um, if you don't see a panel discussion with a diverse a group of participants, um, you can, yes, bring it out, call it out, but also you are part of the solution. Submit for that next panel where you do have a diverse group of people, right? You have to be part of the solution. Also be part of panels that review, um, like, the AI, you know, national be part of the panel that's part of the selection committee that approves these um, seminars and uh, workshops. And then the last one is really important: advocate, take action, start a group, um, start an initiative, any small initiative, and you know, be a champion. Um, like I said before, of as you guys are our champion, we will be your champion as well in return, just by the goodness of our hearts, not because we're doing an eye for an eye kind of thing, but just because we like you. Yeah, I, I think one of the core principles that I keep seeing comes up is the radical inclusion that you have. Uh, we talked a little bit earlier about this being kind yes. of an, an intervention uh, in, in a profession that has it typically known for its exclusivity. Uh, and so fighting for the underdogs in in the profession uh, is going to win big points. And I think it, it just gives people that voice that they've been asking for for so long. So thank you. Absolutely. Thank you. Yeah, it's been great. <laughs> thank you very much, Rosa, for taking the time out uh, to join us uh, again, actually, and, and sharing everything that's uh, been going on. I think it's important that, uh, that we kind of touch base and, and have a good understanding of, of uh, where you've been and with the equity movement and, and, and what's next and where it's going to go. Yeah, we're just getting started. Uh, we're doing another survey in 2016. So uh, stay posted, stay tuned, and we'll have more information uh, early in the year. Great. Well, we'll have to maybe have you back on then and uh, talk about what the next survey is about. Absolutely. It's it seems like uh, with this with this this movement that's going on to keep your finger on the pulse is going to be a key thing moving forward. So kind of going back and, and doing these surveys again and again is going to be important to track. Moving, effectiveness yeah. and change and, and see what's actually happening, because the only way we're going to know is by these people who are going to participate in those surveys. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Great. I'm, I'm happy to hear that you guys are, are doing that. And it seems like the way that you're communicating these things with the infographics, I mean, uh, the audience that you're able to reach by making it more than just a written blog post. Um, you know, I mean, yes. we're trying to help through podcasting. I think there's a lot of different mediums that, like you said, em embrace technology there's so many ways to get the word out and, and people have their own favorites. Um, so it's important to kind of blanket everything, but it seems like you guys were really, I don't know. It, it just seemed to hit the right chords, right? Because 
because there was so much response to I'm, you know, with the report that you published and the the way that you presented the material. I have to give a quick shout out to my team because oftentimes I you know I'm perceived as the 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 uh, the figurehead or the representative of the group, but uh, Lillian Asprin Kleiman, Annalisa Pitts, Helen Wong, uh, Saskia Dennis Van Deel, they're a part of the core team. And there's countless others, but the people that did the infographics, um, Ming Thompson of Atelier Cho Thompson, she basically donated that as an in-kind thing to get this thing going because she believed in where this was going. So we're really appreciative of all the people, the sponsors that, you know, became our champions. So thank you for letting me plug in their names because I feel badly that oftentimes, you know, the focus is on me and it shouldn't be, it should be on equity by design. So thank you. <laughs> no, that's, that's fantastic. And we really appreciate you bringing up uh, the people behind the scenes that may not uh, uh, get noticed as as much um, because they're, they're the ones that are making it happen. And, and they're, yes. they're the ones that are joining you and everyone else to to uh, create change and and create this equity that uh, we so uh, we so badly need. Definitely. Can you tell people where they can where they can learn more about the whole equity movement? Oh yes. So if we have a website, it's still called the Missing Thirty Two Percent dot com. So we are trying to change that name. I'm in the works. I bought a domain called equity or eqx design <laughs> but i won't, i don't i don't want to confuse you so it's still the missing 32%.com and you'll get the link on uh the arcaspeak uh the website link there so yeah it, we'll have it uh we'll have it so don't worry about that yeah when we're ready to launch we'll, you'll you'll know it we'll we'll have a party <laughs> great we'll be we'll be happy to spread that word don't worry Great. <laughs> All right, Groza. Well, thank you very much for joining us. We really appreciate the time. Yeah. All right. Take Th- care. Thanks, Rosa. Bye-bye. Thank you. All right, fellas. I think it's time to wrap it up for the show. If you have questions or comments about the show, visit our website at arcaspeakpodcast.com. There you'll find links to our individual Twitter accounts and the Arcaspeak Podcast Facebook page. So you too can join in on the conversation. And if you have an inspiring tale to share, Call the Arcaspeak Podcast hotline at 415-484-8496. And you can also call that line to leave any sort of like uh, office horror story. We're still waiting for somebody to anonymously, of course, call in. Don't worry. You can't tell our voices sometimes on the podcast, so we're not going to know who you are either. So uh, please call in at 415-484-8496 to share that story on the show. So thanks everyone for listening and uh, stay subscribed. Good night. Good night. Good night. Open the